0: Welcome to Edgemont Bible Church in Fairview Heights, Illinois, where our mission is to glorify God by guiding people into a discipleship relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to today's message by our pastor, Douglas A. White. You take your Bibles and turn to Romans, Revelation 18. <laughs> Look, why don't we just study Romans? It'll be easier for me, right? We'll go to Revelation 18. And we'll pick up our reading uh, or pick up our uh, study here, explaining 9 to 19. But We've got a a variety of other scriptures to look at that I think will be healthy for us. Now, the question is going to be, why am I spending so much time with Babylon? Here, Here's some real good reasons why. Babylon is an old place. It's been around since the Tower of Babel itself. That's when it got its start. It got its start with Nimrod and that the Babylon uh, empire uh, found itself expressed many different locations. Babylon then, as we saw earlier in the Scriptures, is a, a, someone who sits on many waters. So she has been involved with all the kings of the earth, not just a few. And if I can go on to say, she is involved with us today. That's why I'm concerned about this one, because this is not over as a matter of fact, as, as we look at our timeline here, where creation is here at this point, and we know that the end of the world is over here at some point, Babylon doesn't fall until here, and we're living somewhere about here. So there's still this to go. So there's a good reason for us to look at Babylon. She has been in operation since back here at the Tower of Babel and has operated with all the kings of the earth this entire time and has operated up until this very day we're in. She is involved today with the kings of the earth. Everybody with me? Now, the difficulty is he has said, come out of her my people. That means that the people of God are involved with her. They're living in her some way. What I want to do is take a look at Babylon and see, can we recognize whether we're a part of that or not? Can we recognize if we're in it? And, and if we could recognize it, would we do anything about it? Would we say, I need to change that. I, I don't want to be a part of whats good. she's going to be falling apart. And obviously, before the destruction, God called his people and said, get out of there. It's about to fall. In the same way he sent angels to see Lot and his family to get them out of Sodom before he did, gave it his judgment. If he's going to call his people out, is it time for us to look and see, am I involved with this group? Am I involved with this city? Am I involved with Babylon or not? Can I recognize her? Do I recognize her? Do I see what I need to do? That's why we want to look at it. That's why I want to spend so much time with it. Because I I, I see some things that need to be explained about Babylon that may help us understand a little bit more about it, okay? So um, I want you to notice in our uh, reading for today, it's the kings of the earth and the merchants who cry. It's the kings of the earth and the merchants who weep. And I was trying to find, okay, what's the relationship going on? Because I see there is a symbiotic relationship, a mutual relationship going on between the political powers or the powers that be, whatever that group is, the kings of the earth, and the merchants of the earth, that the merchants of the earth are getting rich off of what the kings of the earth do. And I'm trying to figure out how does that work exactly? What is that relationship? And here's what I think I've come up with. I've come up with these words to describe it. It's the Victor Vendor collaboration. That's original of me, guys. Okay? So if you, if you want to quote that, that's okay with me. You know, make, make sure you give me credit for it, alright? Um, matter of fact, do yourself a favor and don't tell anybody I said that, okay? Victor Vender. This is just my way of saying what's, how do you describe this relationship? There is a relationship between the political powers and the economists and the businesses. There has to be a relationship. Everybody follow that? If you're going to spend your time conquering things, you don't have time to be selling things. You're going to need someone to come along with you and take all the goods that you're getting and sell them. You can tax them then and pay for the next conquest. This is a symbiotic relationship that goes on. The the victors conquer and the vendors sell the stuff, then give back money to the victors who can go on and conquer some more. Everybody keeps getting richer and richer from it. Everybody see where we're coming from? So let me see if I can describe what I call this. The victor-vendor collaboration. This is the kings of the earth working with the merchants of the earth in a collaboration with each other. They're agreeing to work with each other on it. It is what I call a symbiosis of human depravity. So it's taking human depravity and working with it. Enhanced with supernatural twisted might. That's the principalities and powers that work together. And Babylonian unquenchable thirst. What do I mean by that? Babylon is a principle, not a place. Babylon is a spirit, not a place. It becomes a place only because when people follow her enough and they prosper from her enough, they build edifices to her. They decorate her, if you would. They outfit her. And they build places that they can look at and say, this shows how rich we really are. Here, I'm, I'm. if I can use a biblical illustration, I'd use Solomon. I, I know that Solomon is considered to be the wisest man on earth, and he did ask for wisdom. But I want you to consider what Solomon did. Solomon, though he was wise and made a lot of all kinds of really good proverbs and things to read, he spent his time not following God. Instead of using his wisdom for what he wanted, I mean, kids, he's the one who wrote Ecclesiastes. That's the book about vanities. He writes it all about about how rich he was, about how much he studied, about all the things he did, about the, the people that he gathered around him to make him enjoy life. And he said, I found that it wasn't enjoyable. And he said, when it came down to the end of the thing, after writing books, after doing and reading books, it came down to this conclusion. What is the end of man?" but to serve God and to live with him in fear. Yet that man took the temple of God and completely showered it with so much gold. Everything in it was overlaid with gold. He overlaid the walls in gold. He made everything in it. The menorah were all made of gold. And he had the menorah lit, so they shined against all that shiny, beautiful gold. So inside that whole temple area was all this beautiful, glittering gold and light and fashion. Can I say, God never called for a bit of that. God never asked for a bit of that. You remember how God had designed the place? It was camel skins, goat skins, dolphin skins. It, it was an a earthy place. Oh, yes, the, the the stuff inside it was overlaid with gold. But it wasn't fashioned so that everybody would look at the beauty of the, the temple place. It was the person that you were supposed to see in there, not the walls. He, he overlaid the whole temple with gold. So this would be a great, magnificent thing you realize how much gold that takes? God never required that of him. That was Solomon doing what Solomon wanted to do. For whose glory? It wound up being for Solomon's glory. Everybody see where we're coming from? So when, when I look at this right here, this Babylonian unquenchable thirst, he couldn't find enough. He couldn't get enough gold. Matter of fact, he goes on to say that Solomon made gold so common That was everywhere. That people used silver like you would use tin or bronze. It became so common everywhere. You know what that did? It devalued its real meaning. How special is gold if everybody's got it? How special is silver if everybody's got it and they spend it like it's nothing? What's special in the world? Ultimately, if there's really nothing special, do you understand that there can't be anything holy? Everything becomes vanity after a while. What becomes special? What becomes holy? This Victor Vender collaboration is a symbiosis using human depravity, and Babylon uses human depravity. Babylon appeals to human depravity, but it also uses supernatural powers of principalities and powers to help people conquer who they need to conquer, help people take what they want to take. Let me break it down a little bit further. Here is what's behind it. I want you to look at Genesis 11.6 just for a minute. Genesis 11.6. I want you to see what this looks like and what God identified it as. Go back to Genesis 11.6, if you would, just for a few moments. I'm not going to spend a lot of time there, but I want you to see what God's view of this had been. We'll get to eleven. Um, 6 in just a moment here. Let me work my way down to it. Now, the whole earth had one language and one speech, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. That in and of itself is a technological advance. You follow where we're coming from? They're They're baking bricks. They're making them. They had brick for stone. They had asphalt for mortar, and they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. I want you to stop there just for a moment. That They said, let us make Hashem, Hashem. That is the Hebrew phrase that's used. It means the name, and it means that that's, that's the one they use in the place of the Lord's name. When they don't want to say the Lord's name, they will say Adonai or they'll say Hashem the name. Here's what they were attempting to do. They were attempting to make themselves God. They're making the name. Everybody with me? All right, let's go further. Let us make the name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. As Susan Nelson pointed out to us in our Sunday school class this morning, this is direct rebellion. Because God had said, scatter out, multiply, Get all over the place. Go. I don't want you to stick around in one place. They decided they'd stick in one place and build a city that would uh, honor themselves, and they would call it by their name. They were creating their own name. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one. They, have all, they, they all have one language, and this is what they begin to do. So they're recognizing this. This is what they're starting to do, kids. They they have decided what they're going to do is bake brick. They're going to use whatever technology they can develop, and they're going to build for themselves a city and a name and a tower. They're going to be everything. Now, he says that's what they begin to do. Now, look on further. That's what they begin to do. Now, nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Do you hear that? Nothing they propose to do will be withheld from them. In other words, this unified people working with their creativity, this unified people could do anything they wanted to do. Nothing would be withheld from them. That's Babylon. Are you following where we're at? That is the essence of Babylon. Nothing can stop us from doing whatever. We, we will use our technology as far advanced as we can That's just going to be something that enhances the fact that we are going to become the name. We are going to become gods. We are going to rule, not him. What we've seen in Revelation 18, you can go back there if you would, is the kings of the earth doing exactly the same thing. Only this time they're going to use the enhanced power and might of the Uh, principalities and powers. In other words, when they conquer something, they're going to conquer in the name of their God. You can read that several times in the Old Testament where any nation that came up against Israel, they were conquering in the name of their God, and their God would be greater than Yahweh, and their God would take over the the, the Lord himself. They were conquering in that name. They, They understood this is not just human against human. This is principality against God. This is supernatural power against supernatural power. And you combine that with that Babylonian thirst to have more and more and more, and you've got a wicked thing going for it, all right? So here's what was behind that. Number one in your outline, creation is full of natural resources for the taking and the using. Isn't that true? I mean, it is full of natural resources. Is that what God told us to do? Is that what he told us to do? To take them and use them as we wish to? Do we have freedom to do it? Yes. Does that mean we're supposed to do it? Kids, I want to tell you, we have no law for that. That is us doing what our own thing is. That's not because he told us to. We have no commandment to do that. What did he tell us to do? To have dominion over the earth that we were supposed to change the earth so that it looks like the Garden of Eden. We're supposed to take his garden and spread it all over. We're supposed to take his glory and spread it everywhere. It was a mutual thing we were going to have. We were going to work with God. We are going to expand the temple all over the earth until the whole earth was full of his glory. You say, I can't believe that's what he had to do. That's exactly what the world is you're going to. Do you realize that's what he said for you? He's restoring this whole earth to be full of His glory. In other words, He is going to complete what we were supposed to have started down here in Genesis 1. We were supposed to have expanded and made the whole earth full of His glory. It was going to be a mutual work we were going to have together. When we didn't do that, Here's what he has prepared for his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and all those who are with him to live with him forever. That's where he's headed. The whole earth is full of his glory, everything. (coughs) Let's go another step, if you would. This is, I think, one of the first things he did that was a wrong thing. To think that the whole earth is full of natural resources for our taking, using any way we want, you know, I said to myself, <clears throat> do I really want to preach this? Because this is going to go against everything that we believe. Everything we believe as nations. Because we believe that all the natural resources are there, are ours for the taking and the using. And we'll do whatever's necessary to do that. You follow where I'm at? Let me go on a step further with you. We are our own authority and accountable to no one but ourselves. That's what they were doing at Babylon. That's what they're doing here in, in the book of Revelation. We're not accountable to anybody. We're our own authority. And as our own authority, we can do what we want to do. Nobody tells us what to do. Number three, it takes resources to pay for conquest. but Conquest garners resources for market. It takes resources to pay for conquest. Listen. I think Russia discovered this uh, kind of brutally, did they not? You, you've got to have resources. If you're not planning to do any conquest, if you really think you're going to take over Kiev, you better make sure that you're not spread out over 40 miles and that you don't run out of gas. You follow where we're coming from? You better have gasoline along the way. You better have fuel along the way. Hey, and by the way, did you know you need to have food for the same people? You don't just take off on a trip like that, kids. Most of you know on vacation, you're kind of looking ahead to say, where do I want to stop? Where do we want to pick up new supplies? Where you, You have to have supplies, right? That costs money. I know you say, boy, Pastor, I'm glad we came today. We're learning some really great things from you. Here's my point. Where do you get that? If you are conquering, do you have time to stop now and say, In the middle of our conquering, do you mind if we go ahead and sell some of this stuff here? We've got some sales to take care of. No, you're looking for vendors to come right behind you. And those vendors coming behind you, they're starting to say, we're going to get the best price for this stuff. This is great stuff. Thanks for stealing it. We're going to go ahead and use it here. We're going to pay for it here, pay for it there. We do it. That's gone on for millennia. That's not anything new. Going on. It takes safety and protection to have free and prosperous trade. You know, Rome, though it, quote, fell to the Goths and Visigoths, they still had merchants. And the merchants were on their way keeping up what they had been doing. The problem was they didn't have the Roman army now to watch over all the way. So on their trade routes that used to be protected by Roman garrisons, that used to be protected by Roman armies, were no longer protected by garrisons, no longer protected by armies, and instead now they got robbed every time they went. They'd go pick up something from China, bring it back, and the, all along the way they were robbed and held up. So they never made it back with the goodies. So that meant Rome never had the goodies to buy and to sell in the city. It didn't take long for the poverty to strike the whole thing and for it to fall yet again. It had a military fall. It had an economic fall, all right? Those are two things. Now, all I'm saying is when the victors and the vendors form that collaboration, though they may not necessarily always like each other, they depend on each other. They need each other, and they work together to get those things done. Everybody with me? Uh, I think uh, uh, Dwight Eisenhower recognized this in his uh, when he left office. He made this as his farewell address that one of the things American need to watch out for was what he called the military-industrial complex because they do work together. That's the same Victor Vender thing I'm talking about. They do work together. They are needed. They've got to work together or they won't be able to keep a good defense up we we've lived that, kids. That's what we know of as strength. The strength of our nation is the fact that we have the military industrial complex that keeps making new weapons for us to use, that keeps the military strong, and the military keeps us all protected. You follow where we're coming from? That's, that's not great news. I, I recognize, but I'm, I just want you to see simply it was already happening. This has been going on for millennia. This is not news. This is this happens all the time. All right, and we go to the next thing. That's a prosperous swap form in number four. Number five, people are also expendable resources. They can accept conquest and domination or be moved. The people are expendable resources. You have things that you want. You have things that you don't want. You, as you conquer people, they can either be good for you and work with you or they can be bad for you. You can make use of them, and that's gone on for centuries. That's not something unusual that's gone on. So we're going to see more of that in just a little bit as we read a couple more things. Collaboration will get anything desired. That's what Genesis eleven six had just said, that with that kind of collaboration, you can do anything you want to do. Everybody follow that? All right. Let's go on to the next one then. The psychology of Babylonian symbiosis. The psychology of Babylonian symbiosis. You see, not only do the victors and the vendors work, but Babylon works together with the kings and the merchants. Babylon is the desire for more. Babylon is the insatiable desire for more. Babylon is the insatiable desire for more. Let me see if I can explain one, one more time a little bit about Babylon. Babylon is a way to live life without God. Babylon is simply a way to live life without God. As I was explaining in Sunday school class this morning, a way to live life without God is what Abraham and Sarah did when they accepted Hagar as the way to live life without God. God was not coming through with the promised child. He had promised them they were going to have a, a child, and now they were getting so old they couldn't bear chi- children anymore. They figured they better help God out because God just can't get this job done. God's promises seem to be pretty good, but he can't get it done. And I, I'm just going to, not to embarrass him, would just say, you ever done that for yourself? Ever get tired of waiting on God and decided that God needs a little help? And if God needs a little help, all you have to do then is just tell him, hey, you know, you were a little late. I got this for you. Bless what I got, okay? That's Abraham and Sarah. And they gave Hagar, and Hagar gave them Ishmael. You will get a product from it. You will get something from it. Everybody with me? You will get something from it. Babylon is the principle of insatiably wanting more and wanting it without God. You don't need God to get that. That's what Babel first showed us. Remember, if God had not uh, broken their unity, nothing they wanted to do would have been withheld from them. Babylon is that insatiable desire. Babylon is a world an economy, a government without God or worshiping any God other than the true God. You, you can worship any God you want as long as it's not the true God. Babylon doesn't care which God you worship. Babylon doesn't care if you worship at all. Babylon can let you be secular as long as you're not worshiping the one true God. That's the Babylonian way. All right. Let me go on further. Babylon turns everything into a commodity. Babylon turns everything into a commodity. You know, after a while, you get so tired of having so much stuff that it doesn't mean anything anymore. You just have stuff, have stuff, have stuff. You've had it for a long time. You're used to having all that stuff. That's what makes a commodity a commodity. It's common. It's everywhere. And Babylon is that principle of making everything into a commodity. Another step further. Babylon is the frenzied economy of more, more production, more consumption. It is profit by coercion. And that doesn't always have to be the coercion of an outside force. That can be your own force. Once Babylon takes over within you, once Babylon, is, you're, you're into a relationship with Babylon, you keep getting more. As that one rich man was asked, how much, how, what does it take to be really rich? He said, just a little bit more, just a little bit more. As long as that's what you understand, that's Babylonian, kids. Just a little bit more. You're never satisfied with what you got. That's what Babylon is about, all right? I know I'm repeating this. I just want to make sure that everybody understands. Babylon is not a place. Babylon's not a person. Babylon is a principle. And that principle that enters into us takes advantage of our depravity. And as it takes advantage of our depravity, it says, take more. Make more, 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 more. If you only had this, you'd be better. I've come to see, boy, that's what the Ten Commandments were about. Man, God is, God is just totally wise. There's just no one like him. He, he warned us, don't covet. Why would Why would that be a problem? Because it's always wanting more. And sometimes it's more of what somebody else has. So you want somebody else's stuff. Where does that lead you? What does that do to you? What does that turn you like when you can't be satisfied? What do you become like inside? You'll never follow God. You can't. Because now you're driven by coercion of yourself, your own ambition, your own desire to have, 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 have. It'll never be enough. Can I just say to you, that's the same world our Lord Jesus Christ came into with all the frenzied people he was looking at there and gave Matthew chapter 6 as a part of the, the Sermon on the Mount. That's the same frenzied world that Jesus came into and said these words, "'Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest.'" Come to me, all you anxious, worried people, frenzied about getting more done, insatiable with the way you'd have to do things, you have to be busy, you have to be doing things, you have to be getting it done. That's why he gave the Sabbath. Because it kills you. That's Babylonian. Do, do, am I making sense? Babylon is a seven-day-a-week urge to have more. It never rests. That's why it's going to have a hard time coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because in Christ, as Al pointed out earlier this morning, it's not what you do, it's what he did. And that's hard for people who are hard-driven workaholics To accept that I'm willing to accept someone's gift in my place for my salvation. Tell me what I have to do to earn it. It's to those people he said, you need a rest. You need a rest. You're killing yourself. I need you to rest one day a week. I need you to rest at night. I need you to turn off the lights go to bed I need you to get refreshed I need you tomorrow I have things I want you to do tomorrow and if you don't rest you won't be worth it I need you to rest one day a week he even took it further kids I need you to rest every seventh year I need you to stop I need you to see that I will feed you in that seventh year with what I gave you in the sixth year. I'm going to do it so much. I want you to see that what I feed you in that seventh year, I can feed you also in the eighth year because it won't come to fruition till the end of the eighth year. Wow. He was reversing Babylon because that's what Babylon's all about. The insatiable desire for more. Okay, let me go on further. To have more, one must work more or find a way to get someone else to work for him. To work more leads to greater stress and anxiety. Number four, Babylon is worldliness. It is First John 2.15. It is the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. That's the essence of Babylon. That's what she uses to draw you in. Don't you think you'd look good in that car? Don't, don't you think you'd look good in those clothes? Don't you think you would look better in that house? Kids, everything that drives us, maybe that's too broad and general a statement, the things which drive us are the very coveting and lust that is Babylon. It's is the very stuff that's killing us. No wonder you have to say, come out of her, my people, because it's easy to get caught up in her. All right. Another further, another step here. Babylon lures and seduces the depravity in man and uses it to get what she wants. He uses her to satisfy his desires and lusts. She is pornography. Never satisfied. Never satisfied. Can't be satisfied not way. You always have to have more. That's Babylon. Why? Because she's the mother of pornography. She's the mother of harlotry, prostitution. She's the one who's behind it all. There was a term here that I wrestled with and could not figure out how does that work. And it's, it's found in 18, let me look back here. Yeah, let's look at this in verse 3, 18.3. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. I want to go back to 17 just for one. I want to read something to you there and see if you can figure out what did he say here. Come, in. Uh, let's go to 17.1. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication. The kings of the earth committed fornication. The inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Kids, I wrestle with that one. That is a mixed metaphor. You follow that? There's there's some kind of fornication going on, and there's some kind of wine that comes from it. What? Wine doesn't come from fornication. That they're not they're not really way. How do you get that? What is this mixed metaphor? And how do people get drunk from it? Well, so here's here's what I started discovering. So hang with me. All right. Understanding the terms of this account, the wine of their fornication. How can kings have any sort of ship with a principle by getting involved with the principle? The fornication is an involved usury of one another. It's not about a committed relationship. You can't be committed to her. She's uncommittable. But you can use her, and she can use you. And that's the whole basis of uh, fornication. Fornication is a perversion of the way. Fornication is a perversion of the way. What's a perversion? It twists something out of the way. It takes it away from what it's supposed to be. It devalues the valuable. Listen, the, 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 I, I said this years ago, and, and it made several, even my my brothers in faith, uh, upset. Until we get back to understanding that sex is procreation, not recreation, we're still going to have a problem. As long as you treat sex as a recreational activity, we're always going to have a problem with this thing. Sex was about bringing children into the world. Now, let me see if I can go another step further. Church doesn't like always having talk like that. Why? Why? Because the church bought years ago the same thing that the world was buying, that world that was buying, that was saying there are too many people living in the world, we need to control the population, we need to stop this. Matter of fact, we need to kill things that really are no value. That's where Planned Parenthood came from in the first place, kids. That's why Planned Parenthood chose abortion as a way of Planned Parenthood. They were all believing. And... Listen, Hitler was believing the same thing that Margaret Sanger of Planned Parenthood was. She was believing the same thing that a philosopher in England was believing. They believed that you should limit the human race. Poor people need to be eliminated from the earth. The the, the races of earth that are not doing the, the right progressive stuff need to be eliminated from the earth. Sterilize as many people as you can. Do them all in. And the church bought into it after a while. It was God who said, be fruitful, multiply, have children, fill the earth. It was God who said that. But in our Babylonian way of looking things, you said, that's too many people. We can't possibly survive that way. We can't possibly have enough food that way. Therefore, let us cut down the size of our families. When the church bought into the fact that we need to tell God, what he can do about conception. We stepped out of bounds, kids. We were out of bounds. Now You may not like what I'm saying here. That's okay. You don't have to like it. You have a right to be wrong. I'm just simply saying this, kids. It was not long until we were buying into the same things the rest of the world was buying into, and we followed them. It was Babylonian. It was men deciding for themselves what's right and what's not right. It was men defying the command of God to do what they wanted to do. And from that, billion-dollar industries were created. You see, if sex isn't really about procreation, procreation just happens to be a side result of it, then kill the side Farm it. Sacrifice it to idols. Have them so that you can give them to idols. Have them so that you can sacrifice them. Or do them in before they get here. Do you, do you grasp what I'm talking about? What, what wickedness? What, what, what Babylonian stuff is this? Fornication is a perversion of the way. Fornication is saying, no, 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 no. Don't worry about the kid thing. We don't have kids. Let's just have the fun sex. Let's just have pornography. Let's just have prostitution. Let's just have bestiality. It doesn't matter as long as you're getting to enjoy your life. That's fornication. And that's what the kings of the earth did. You see, conquest was not what God told us to do. Matter of fact, in looking over the whole reason that God created us, no place in there does it ever say rule over one another. No place. The dominion we were to have was over the beasts, the things that crawl, the things that fly, the things that are in the sea. We were supposed to take care of them the way God takes care of them. We were supposed to make sure they have adequate food, adequate nourishment, adequate, and they would feed all of us. We would have adequate food for all as we fruitful and multiply But we didn't see how it was going to work. So, since we couldn't see out when it was going to work, we decided to do it our own way. That's Babylon. And if I can say, that's fornication. That's taking the true meaning of what that sex was to be and destroying it for pleasure. And you got to have more and more and more and more. Do you see where it's Babylonian? So I began to understand that the way I began to can understand this is that the kings of the earth were now breaking the covenant that God had, breaking the whole thing that God had told us to, breaking the purpose. They had perverted the purpose of God that was given to humanity, and that became the, the fornication they were having with Babylon because Babylon was encouraging it. Have more, have more, have more, have more. Never have enough, never have enough. But then where does that become wine? Wine is a fermented, intoxicating drink used for celebrations. Wine is a fermented, intoxicating drink used for celebrations. And here, the first thing came to my mind was Exodus 32, 1 to 6. So if you would, let's just turn back there real briefly. Exodus 32, 1 to 6. Now, when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods that shall go before us. As as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what's become of him. He's gone 40 days. For all we know, he died in the mountain. We don't know what's going on now, and we're out here without gods. How can you be out here without gods? Now, why would they say such a dumb thing? Where had they been? They've been living in Egypt where there are idols everywhere. Their whole life was about idolatry. They didn't know the living God. How long it had been since they'd heard from the living God? 400 years. Did they have a Bible to read? No. What did they have? Oral stories that their fathers said would happen to Jacob or Isaac or Abraham. They had some oral stories of things that might have happened to Joseph. And that's it. What do they know about this Yahweh? Nothing. But what do they know about idols? Everything. Every day of their life was about an idol. It was the Pharaoh who brought up the sun. It was the worship of the idols that gave them their food. It was the wor- That's what they're used to, and that's what they're going to do. Make us gods that we can have out here. We're alone and vulnerable. We need those gods. Going on. And Aaron said to them, break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. That's another whole discussion. That's got some good stuff to it, too. So all the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. Then they said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Do you hear what they just called him? They said, this is Yahweh. This is the God who brought us out of Egypt. This is the God, that golden calf thing. Go on further. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation that said, tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Then they rose up, or they rose early on the next day, offered burnt offerings, brought peace offerings. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. They got their wine, and they took their wine, and they took their food, and they rose up to play. That is, they danced around. They fooled around immorally with one another. That was what it was all about. That was their wine. Now, that brought me to this. The kings of the earth and Babylon committed fornication. I can see how the kings of the earth uh, entered into that principle there by doing things that were wrong, perverted things. But then I, I said, how do you make wine? So, Let's just talk about how you make wine for a moment. I'll go ahead and fill in my blanks there so we can talk about it. Making wine is the violent crushing of grapes to get the blood from them. Given a little time to ferment, the people have wine with which to celebrate. Overindulging is getting drunk. All right, and let me just, let's just describe this process. You you have this harvest of grapes, you toss it into a vat, then you get into the vat and you stomp it. You want to stomp it as violently as you can, because what you want to do is get the juice out of it. Now, on the skin of that grape, there is a yeast, and that yeast gets into the mix of the juice that's going out there and becomes a natural fermenter. You've got the sugar of the grape, and the yeast of the, the skin of the grape, that's all mixed in together. So you stomp it, and out it comes in this little flow. And they dug, dug trenches for it, and they took it to vats in the ground. Those vats in the ground, when all that ran in there. When it got full enough, they covered it over. And within three to five days, take your grape juice. It'll, it'll work. Within three to five days, this stuff was fermented. And you just reach in and you drink all you want. Friends, what was it the kings of of the earth did? They stomped the grapes of people. That was their fornication, remember? This was their perversion of what you're supposed to do with people. Are you supposed to be stomping people? No. You're supposed to be conquering people? No, you're supposed to be building and making a dominion of the whole earth and making it more and more like the kingdom of God. But instead, they're stealing from other people. They're killing other people. And the wine which runs out becomes the wine of their fornication. So the blood of those people and all the goods of those people became the things that you could drink down. You oh, you didn't have to be involved in the conquest You didn't have to be involved with the crushing of the grapes. All you had to do was dip in from the results of that. So you could stay relatively free, free from the ugliness of it all, free from the crushing of it all. You just drank down. And after a while, you overindulge in that and you become drunk. Matter of fact, now you're looking forward to the next conquest because what could be at the next place? What's going to be at the next place? What can we get from this? What are the vendors going to bring us now? The victors stomped the grape. The vendors now are selling the juice, and we're getting drunk from it. What could be next? That's how that mixed metaphor works. Does that make sense? So, letter B, they crushed the lives of those they conquered and took their possessions for themselves. The people drank the wine of those possessions. And that's how they got drunk. Listen, that kind of a lifestyle requires a high amp energy to make it work. You're going to have to have ample food, ample supplies to make it work. It works even greater when you've got a a music that makes it work. If you've got an entertainment form that makes it work, this thing works great. You can now just follow the high amp energy that's involved with that kind of frenzied activity until it just wears you out. Let me ask you, in all of that frenzied activity of more, 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 of advantage, of advantage, advantage, of taking and taking and taking, of being privileged and privileged and privileged, where are our children Today? Is it any wonder they don't really see the benefit and value of following Christ? When the greatest thing to follow is Babylon. There's a lot of high energy in Babylon. And yet, they've seen enough to know who wants Babylon. That's gross. So here they are, torn in the stress and anxiety of a culture that is stressed, Getting all the things they think it need to have, and stressed with, I don't want to get involved with that. I don't want to be in that. Somehow tossed now in the middle of it all, can't figure out what to do with their lives. They can see what they don't want. Not sure what they do want. Let's talk about the loss of the kings and the merchants. The merchants lost the merchandise. I should say the kings first. What'd they lose? they 're looking at it, and it says, uh, "Look at verse nine, the kings of the earth who committed fornication, lived luxuriously with her uh, will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning standing at a distance What's, what 's what they talking about now? This Babylon is the one they built in her honor. This is the one that 's decorated this one 's got the silver, the gold, the everything that it needed, all those things that was there. This is what they 're seeing the result of their building, this temple, this edifice here 's what they 're getting. They are standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, the great city, the mighty city. The kings look her as a powerful place. They're looking at their loss of power. This is the place you had power from. This is where the vendors were. This is where everything, you could pay for everything. This is where the designs were. This is where everything we needed was. This is where all the powerful Plutarchs are. So they're weeping over that. The merchants, verse 11 says, the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her for no one buys their merchandise anymore. They don't care about the people. There's just nobody there to buy their stuff. They got lots of stuff to sell now. Merchandise of gold and silver and on and on they go. So the loss of the merchandise of the kings of the merchants, the loss of the merchandise that they made them wealthy with misused resources and objects of worship. Because they misused things, and now they were selling those commodities, selling those common things, they were making a profit over that which was supposed to be the glory of God, and it wasn't. Letter B, the loss of self-lavish glory that decorated their Babylon and brought praise to them. They're losing their, their market. They're losing their lavish, self-lavish glory. They built this thing for their own honor, just like Nebuchadnezzar had built Babylon. They built it with colors, and they built it with fabrics, and they built it with things from far over the earth. They built it with the gold, with the silver. They built it all up, and that's what they, it's all lost. It's melting down. It's burning up. Everything that they had lived for. Matter of fact, it goes on to say, the very treasures of your heart was gone. If I can say, even the loss of the use of other human beings for their own profit and pleasure. (coughs) Look, if you would, it says that the, uh, uh, yes, verse 13. (coughs) They lost cinnamon and incense, fragrant oil and frankincense, wine and oil, fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots, and bodies and souls of men. Do you see any devaluations going on with this? This is the devaluation of everything because they're making it so common. They got so much of it. Always looking for more and more of it. It's so common. Now they don't have anybody to sell it to. They made even bodies and souls of people common merchandise. That's human trafficking, kids. Human trafficking is not new going on for centuries. They sold the bodies of souls and people. And that's what they're weeping. They don't have them to sell anymore. They're all perishing in that. Jesus would say it this way. It was the loss of the very own souls. These merchandisers, these merchants and these kings lost their souls. They gained the world, but they lost their soul. That's what Jesus warned about. What profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? They lost their soul, kids. They they couldn't repent. There, There was no chance to repent. There wasn't anything they wanted to repent of. They lost their profits. They lost their merchandise. They lost their glory. They lost everything. Now, I want you to notice they stayed, kept their distance. Look, there's nobody running in there to try to grab the stuff out of there and spare it. There's nobody even attempting to put the fire out. It's too intense. The judgment is too strong. They can't get there. They have to just sit back and watch. They have lost everything, kids. They had invested their life in this stuff, and it's gone. Gone. And they're going to come in. It's gone in an hour. Man, that didn't take long. It took us a lifetime of conquest and collecting and bringing it all together and selling and making. And in an hour, it's gone? They keep the distance from her, lest they become part of her just destruction. It was too hot to rescue, too intense to put out. The destruction of this decadent city is near the end of the tribulation. I want you to think with me just for a moment. All this stuff that they have going on here, that's at the end of the tribulation, okay? This is just before Jesus Christ comes back. Can I ask you something? How much has gone on before here? Can I take you back here where there's been a tremendous persecution in the first part of this thing? Where God had opened up seals and a third of the earth is gone at one time, God had opened a seal, another fourth is gone, there has been famine, there has been all kinds of disaster. They're talking about the ships and they do you remember what the ships are sitting in now? Bloody jello. And they're still trading. they're still thinking of this as a great and mighty city. There there is still this trafficking going on. There's still all this value placed. The world is burning up. How depraved do you have to be? How low down do you have to be? How insane do you have to be before this is time to repent? They still did not repent. It's been living this kind of lifestyle while all the judgment was going on. Now I want you to get this. It's the 10-nation alliance that start this fire. It's the 10-nation alliance that burn up Babylon. This 10-nation alliance which is working with a beast because they don't like her. This is just like what the communists do whenever they take over a place. They recognize there are the rich people you have to get rid of. They're the merchants you have to get rid of. They're the kings you have to get rid of. There are people who helped you along the way you have to get rid of. Burn them up. And that's what the ten kings did. They destroyed them all. And they're glad to see her gone. Because they can't control that uncontrollable, insatiable desire. They can't do anything with those kind of people. Those kind of people are good people who go after stuff all the time. They'll go after the kingdom. Therefore, the beast, they're glad to see Babylon go. Jesus came just to such a frenzied world, just to the same kind of world that was going on right here. Jesus came and said, I have come for you. All you who are heavy laden, you're burdened, you're in that frenzy, you're in that anxiety, I've come for you. Put your confidence and trust in me. Now, look, here, here's the deal, kids. Everybody here has got a choice. You can either stick with Babylon and go that way, or you can go for a minute and say, wait a minute, I'm not into that. I'm going to follow the kingdom of God, and I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I'm not going to be worried and anxious about all the things that everybody's worried and anxious about that lives in this fantasy world because the real world's coming. I want to be ready for it. I hope today you put your confidence and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and get out of the confidence you're having in that you're going to make it, that you're somehow going to do it, that you're you're somehow going to miss that whole judgment thing. It's not going to come to you. Yes, it will. Yes, it will. Swift and quickly. Al, would you guys come and lead us in a final song together? Thank you, Father. We love you and we praise you because you're the wholesome God. You're the one who knows all things, and you've told us in advance of what's taking place. Thank you for it all, Father. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ and the delivery that's in him. In Christ's name, amen. We hope God has encouraged you with today's message by Pastor White. Thank you for joining us at the Edgemont Bible Church. We'd love to have you visit us if you're ever in the area. For directions, more information, or to support the ministry of Edgemont Bible Church, please go to our website at edgemontbiblechurch.org. That's Church, edgemontbiblechurch, all one word, dot org. You can also follow us on Facebook at Edgemont Bible Church, where the Sunday morning message is broadcast live.